Welcome back to the Brothers of the World podcast for this special festive episode. Uh, Santa Claus is bringing everyone the best podcast on Inter on the internet in English right now. Amen. Um, <laughs> it's me and Hristo here. Um, how you doing, Hristo? Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Um, happy holidays to you too and to everyone that's listening to the episode. Uh, we're again without Chino because he doesn't want to talk to us apparently. It doesn't matter. At least Lukaku is scoring and Icardi is playing against Farmers. And I'm happy. As far as uh, the week and the two weeks we didn't record, I mean, it's been good. You know, the uni season is almost over. Inter is winning. I mean, winning. Emphasis on, on Genoa and not so much on uh, Fiorentina, but we'll get into that later on. How are we feeling today, bro? Um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um been busy lately um graduated from college actually last week which was pretty big deal you know yeah thanks uh humble brag whatever you want to call it but yeah so if anyone out there wants to give a dumb 20 year old that only knows anything about enter a job um please hit me up but um we'll go ahead and get into the match that was happening as i was driving home from that um the fiorentina inter game um that was back on the 15th, nine days uh, prior to recording this. Um, of course, that was a 1-1 draw. Um, Fiorentina snatching a late equalizer after Borja Valero scores probably one of his best goals as an Inter player, which, I mean, there aren't too many to choose from. But, yeah, playing with a lackluster midfield, um, I kind of expected a draw. I think I told somebody that I was – seeing like a 1-1 happening and that's what happened even though it stung it coming so late um yeah what did you think of that match uh the goals uh, anything from that it was pretty dour affair oh it was pretty straightforward considering our midfield wasn't as good at uh, as it was weeks prior to that because of the injuries that we sustained in the past few weeks and months now we saw that Sensi is all good to, to play and to start again. And I hope that we'll see Sensi and Brozovic alongside Vecino after the break. I saw a report that said Barella should be um, recover, should recover for the Napoli game, but I'm not so optimistic about that because <clears throat> there were reports when he was injured that said he was supposed to be out for a month or so. Or maybe it's been, it has been a month. We're so lost, to be honest. But it doesn't matter so far, because the game against Fiorentina was um, an interesting one. A pre, as I said, pretty straightforward, because both sides had a few chances. Uh, Handanovic pulled out so many saves against Fiorentina, and really it deserves a shout. Because without him, maybe we would have lost, but I doubt so. Maybe if you have uh, Julio Cesar, but who knows? Who knows? Um, Borja, as you said, scored. I mean, his goal was wonderful in my eyes because I expected something from him because there's a motivation when he played uh, Fiorentino last season and also this season. Uh, he's an interesting character uh, and I really um, think that we should be grateful because we, had, we have someone of his ability in the technical sense because his technical ability is really amazing. Uh, we haven't had some such a player since Manega, maybe, when it comes to like technicality. If he had legs, he would be starting uh, for Inter. But you know, I like him as an option. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, go, go on, go on. Oh, I was just gonna say that like it was something we kind of talked about on the last pod. We even gave Borja a little credit. Um, we called out like his stamina. Of course, it isn't there anymore, but like. We said that he had the technical ability. He still has, like, a really great mind for the game. He's always looking for passes. He's always, like, making – I guess you can't really call him runs because he's not running very much. He's making walks. But he's <laughs> he's doing good. His movement's good. He's doing everything pretty well. It's just, you know, um, the age catching up to him. But um, I wasn't really surprised with the goal. Well, I mean, I kind of was. But also, like – 
he's got that ability. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that we had hinted on before in the previous podcast. Hey. And to see that come around um, seemed pretty good. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I completely agree, especially when you add the motivation that he had for the match. I think it turned out the best for him because he was the best player by far um, on the match. And I, to be honest, I expected more from Fiorentina, even though they had a few shots. I wasn't impressed with them. And I think that the injury that uh, Ribéry sustained a month or two months ago uh, really hurts them, uh, and it will hurt them in the long run. As, as we saw uh, yesterday, I think it was, or some days ago, uh, they were they they sacked Montella and they're they're on the verge of signing Yakini, who I don't think he's the right manager for the position. But hey, apparently their stance now is that they are fighting for relegation, and he'll sign for Fiorentina just to save them for relegation from the from the relegation. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first half was, uh, we had a few chances. We capitalized on those chances that we had, uh, and especially the one that Borja had in the first eight minutes. And then Fiorentina started um, playing decent football, but they didn't have so many goals uh, or chances to score a goal. And I think it was near the end of the first half when um, Lukaku got the ball ran with it wide and then uh, passed it to Lautaro, but the goal was disallowed because of, of an offside position that Lukaku was found in. But then the second half, um, Drago, uh, Dragoski made a few saves uh, that, I mean, he's an amazing keeper. There were many doubts about him last season because he was at Empoli. But as we saw with Caputo and now with Dragoski, it's not a a one-off, and both of them are really good players, but as you said previously in, in previous podcasts, um, our midfield is is struggling right now, and um, I, was, I wasn't expecting as much, but, you know, we could have won the match, we didn't win, maybe because, we did, because of chances we didn't capitalize on, but also at the same time, we, um, we had so many uh, bad moments in the match, uh, like the Vlahovic goal in the, the last few minutes in which Devray didn't follow Vlahovic and Skriniar uh, went after Vlahovic instead, which was the the worst decision in that moment. And, I mean, the goal that he scored was nice. And, of course, Dalbert was the one that passed the ball to him. Yeah, their goal to me was very much, like, Inter's fault. There was... I still don't really get why we were pushing that hard for another goal, had everyone up basically, and just left that much space at the back when really all you have to do is wait out two more minutes. But of, like, of course. If you're that far ahead, just go to the corner flag, uh, run timeout, pass all the way back to Hendanovic if you want to waste that much But time. we did, Mike. I don't know. I felt like that was very much a bonehead move. We did so, but – we spoke even before recording. Who had the ball? Of course, it was Politano, the most brain dead player of all. And I'm not expecting much for him. We spoke, me and you, especially about him and how much we let's not hate as it is a holiday today, but we were not the biggest fan of his, you know. If he left Inter in January, I would be happy. Uh, if the reports for um, him living for Parma, I think it is, and signing instead uh, Kulushevsky, it would be nice, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Kulushevsky is the best player in Serie A this season. Arguably the best, the best player so far. But yeah, if we can offload Politano, who had the ball, as you said, near the corner flag, which he didn't, um, didn't keep hold of, and then they Dalbert got the ball, they countered and scored. And of course, everything starts from Politano. Yeah, that's something that in previous seasons we also were kind of vulnerable to being burnt by. I can remember plenty of matches where guys like Gibiani or Nagatomo or Santon are trying to go to corner flags and just can't keep the ball and then we get countered, and that's either 
losing late in the match or we like get pegged back late in the match. But that's something we've seen a lot. And that's something that I guess you don't really expect from this team with this manager. But when you've still got quality, the quality of player like Politano trying to waste out games. Um, but I don't think that he's been a fit for this um, this coach's setup. I don't think he's been given enough playing time to even show his skills, and I just feel like he's the wrong fit now. And that the sooner he goes, like you've mentioned, with maybe going to Parma for Kulishevsky or maybe just going literally anywhere else would be better for him and better for us. Do you think there's any merit in the – Reports saying he might go to Parma with the with the intention to replace Kulusevski or not. Um, I don't think he's gonna go. Uh, mainly because I don't think Parma are gonna let him go. And the news reports, if they're to be to be believed that I've seen today, um, the newest ones have been that Kulusevski is going to stay through the end of the season, but Inter are working on a deal with Atalanta to sign him in the summer because he's currently, of course, on loan at Parma. Parma don't want to lose one of their key players at this point in the season. And locking him up, I think, is a good idea. And even the more I've thought about it, I like the idea of him coming in the summer instead of maybe you have a Piontech issue where you bring this guy in who had a great half a season and he regresses from this big change, and then the next season is a ghost of himself. So I think for him to continue to develop and finish the season and come in with a full preseason ahead of him, I think is the best way if and possibly when we bring Kulishevsky in. But, I mean, Politano can go anywhere at this point. He can go to Parma and still Kulishevsky can stay. That's still fine with me, but... um, I mean, yeah, it would I'm be better if we all offload him this uh, this winter, yeah. especially because we don't need him. And as you said, his price can eventually go down because he's not playing currently at Inter. Um, having in mind that Sanchez is going to come back from the injury in the next week or so, or two two weeks at most, I think, with the latest reports, as we saw him uh, in the, in training. I don't think we need Kulusevski right now. And it would be for the best for him as a player, especially, to develop this season at Parma and then come, uh, come to Inter in the summer. The thing that I, uh, I'm very uh, positive and excited about is that Kulusevski is playing very, very good at another system that's not Atalanta. Because we've seen, even though Gasparini has been proven to be a really good manager for such teams, such as Atalanta, Genoa, and um, p- players like, um, as we spoke in the group chat, and Sia said, Scully, uh, that's a throwback name because he was playing very, very sure. good in, in Genoa. And Gasperin wanted to bring him in, even though he was like 30-something in Inter. Um, and that would have been really bad because he was used to that system, as we saw later on with the Mazzari and Campagnaro. I don't think that... Uh, but the coaches bringing players that they like, they're not that are not very on the same level as others. As we have seen in recent years, however, we saw Kessie being, uh, I mean, average at best at Milan. Conti, very bad. Um, Gagliardini has been, eh, I would say bad. Like a- every player that has played in Gasperini's system has been proven as being a fraud let's say, because Caldara hasn't performed that much because of injuries. Um, who am I missing? Yeah, you're right. That system that um, Gasparini has is very much a system that makes players <clears throat> look much better than they are. And you mentioned like a lot of the big examples that we've seen over the season. And so as much as we are sometimes linked to Atalanta players, I do think that sometimes it is for the better that we stay away from those guys because of just the way that system, I guess, helps players as long mm-hmm. as they have mm-hmm. certain attributes. Like a lot of these guys, Kessier and Galliardini have similar attributes, and that's what made them look better in that system. But 
Yeah, I think you're right with that. And Kulishevsky doing it at Parma, which is a lower level, rather than doing it at um, Atalanta, where you have that level of coaching. I, I think you're right. It does bode well for the player. But, but, but even though um, Gagliardini hasn't been performing in like recent months, he did perform against Genoa. Mike, take it. Yeah, good so good, good segue. Um, yeah, um, he played against his favorite team. He played against Genoa, where he got what four goals last year mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. them. Um, he's opening his account to try to get four more this year with the goal against them this year. And I looked at the Sofa Score ratings, and Genoa was just awful. Like it's all dark oranges low sixes across the board like I don't know if that's partly on the manager or if that's just the morale of these players at this point but they were really who has the highest rating for both teams as much as we were great they were also really really bad and it's really concerning and it's kind of sad to see Mm -hmm. a former inter guy like Mata trying to instill well not, not trying to instill anymore as much as he was in the past his own footballing philosophies and just like trying to take this dead carcass of a general team and do literally anything with them because I don't know they were dreadful do you have a faith in him but, being a good um, manager in recent like in the next few years or he's just another fraud um I think he's got the chance um I liked what he was saying with the way he wants to look at his teams um horizontally rather than vertically or vertically rather than horizontally. Mm-hmm. I, I get my directions mixed up. My degree was in history, not <laughs> math. Or how you picture. But, yeah, the different ideas that he has, I think, are smart. Like, building these, like, matchups and overloads that he's talked about. I think all of that is very good, and I think that these are good ideas, but he just needs a better team to impose it on. Like, I want to see him at more of a solidly mid-table team, like maybe Sampdoria was a few years ago, or even up to last season, where they were just solidly mid-table and stable. He needs that kind of environment. And I think he'll be a good coach in the future, but I think this Genoa job, where it's been a coaching carousel, uh, to say the least, is just not a good place to try to instill a whole new philosophy. Yeah, Genoa is the, the, the place that, where you have to have a certain philosophy in order to work, especially with uh, the owners being as rigid as Preziosi is. They don't want anything new. They just want to survive and be as like as average as possible, even though they have so many good players on the roster, especially Pinamonti, Agudelo, they have Romero in the back line. Guglione is a good right back. Radu. <clears throat> and yeah, I when they had Kwame too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, how can we forget about Pandev, of course, like the best player <laughs> in Serie A. Um, but I saw reports that Radu may be um, back to Inter even in January because they have signed Perin. Yeah, they have signed Perin uh, on loan from Juventus. And I think that there's a real possibility for Radu to come to, to Inter. Uh, I just saw an article by, by someone, I cannot pinpoint who it was, that said that Conte is not really happy with Padilla as a second choice and he needs someone who can be a better backup to Handanovic. And I think that guy is actually Radu, who's coming to Inter either way, either in June or January. And as you said... Um, it would be really good to see Mota have another chance in a better club because Genoa doesn't have the players that he needs in order to perform his title football because we saw glimpses of how good he can be in the first match against Brescia, I think it was, when they scored, like, they were, like, one nil down and they scored three goals, like, a month or two ago. It doesn't even matter now. But... the latest reports that I saw on the Marcio site is that Actually, Bolardini, the guy that Preziosi sacked, actually had the courage to refuse the offer from uh, Preziosi to come back. I know it, it, sounds, <laughs> it sounds amazing and never heard of before, 
a, a guy that was sacked to have a dignity, but hey, it happens. And Mota at the end may get another chance, but I don't think it's possible. Talking about Mota and how Mota has given a chance to the youngsters, we saw that he can be a really good coach if given um, the confidence into his abilities, which he obviously has. I mean, on the other side, we had Conte, who also gave a chance to Esposito, even though he didn't have a choice on what to do, but he could have started Politano, which we already mentioned. But yeah, he gave a lot of opportunities to these uh, players that didn't get so many opportunities previously, especially uh, Borja and Esposito. And in this match, both of them were very good. Uh, yeah, um, some of it, of course, is how bad Genoa was. But even this uh, kind of patchwork midfield, something that Spalletti was putting out last year and the year before with Gagliardini, Vecino, and Valero, like, they looked good. And I guess when you don't have that much pressure on you, you can really kind of express yourself and not have to worry about fucking off like they tend to do. But Galliardini back from injury looked really good. And part of it probably is his whatever he has against Genoa that he loves playing against him. I don't know if, like, as a kid, like, somebody from Genoa, like, screwed him over. But <laughs> he just goes he, – he has it out for these guys. Um, gets his goal. Uh, just plays a great all-around game. And I was talking about this recently. Um I forget with who, but how Galliardini and Vecino are great for about three games. Um, you can play <laughs> one guy for about a run of three games, then you swap him out with the other one, and then he has three good games. Once he starts burning out, you bring the next one in, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and I think that's how you have to handle these two guys is they can only come in for each other and playing them in the midfield together against a team that is not Genoa is – asking for something bad to happen. But to get off the sour side, um, Esposito with his first goal, um, the penalty scene around the world as Lukaku hands him the ball to allow him to become Inter's second youngest Serie A goal scorer in history. Um, Lukaku has a great game, scores two goals after much criticism in the past weeks. Um, many will say that it's just Genoa. But it's good to see him back on the score sheet. Uh, has, he gets his brace, scores another outside-of-the-box goal with that cannon of a left foot that he has. And, yeah, this is a very good way to coast into the new year. And we're ending this 2019 portion of the season much like we came into it with the Leche game. Um, both of these games looked very similar to me where we just wiped up the opponent and brushed them aside. And we, of course, see Cincy back for a few-minute cameo. We see Lazaro for a few-minute cameo, which wasn't as good as Cincy's. But we can see that the team is starting to finally get fit again and that's really good going into this stretch of the season where we're going to need all hands on deck if we're going to push Juve and try to stay top of the table. Without a doubt, we are ending the season or the half of the season and the year in the best way possible. Some may say, of course, it's just a general, but last year in the last match we were playing against Empoli and it was just Empoli, you know. If we fuck that up, we're not playing in the Champions League, Conte is not coming, and we're having the whole nightmare of a season with Spalletti all over again. So <clears throat> I would disagree with all of them that would say it's just Genoa because we've been, we've been struggling for years against Genoa and against teams that are just like Genoa, teams that want to finish in the mid-table uh, places or uh, they want to finish above the relegation zone. We saw how many, how good can... Kiev will be last year and seasons prior when we play when they played against us or Sassuolo with Consigli or Herman Dennis with Atalanta some five years ago. So no, it's it's very important to win every single match and to get into a match, a hundred percent. 
because otherwise you get complacent and what happens when you get complacent you don't beat Slavia Prague at home you don't advance into the next uh, phase of the Champions League and you miss out on 15 million <clears throat> so yeah the smaller teams are more important to win against than the bigger teams I always said if I was a coach and or I was something of importance in a club just go and win the simple matches the matches against the smaller teams the ones that you quote-unquote have to win because otherwise if you win only against the top teams as we saw in other leagues not necessarily Serie A they're not doing anything uh, of, of importance because they're winning against the teams that they quote-unquote shouldn't beat but they are struggling against someone that uh, has the biggest chance of getting relegated that season but as of the match against Genoa uh, yeah we started off nicely we had a couple of chances in the first few minutes there was not Lautaro in the starting lineup because of accumulated yellow cards. If he was playing, maybe he would have scored his signature 10-minute uh, goal or the, within the 20 minutes, and it would be even easier than it was. Um, but yeah, Lukaku scored the first goal upon the, uh, the assist of Kandreva. A nice header. Radu tried to save it. He wasn't able to do so. And then Gagliardini scored two minutes after that. Um, uh, Lukaku bullied I think it was either Biraski or Romero but he bullied it with his back towards him he laid off the ball to Gagliardini and uh, Gagliardini scored his um, his first goal in the match or the only goal in the match but he he was the one that made the difference in the midfield him and Vecino were running 90 minutes Borja was decent too and actually Borja when he didn't play as intense as uh, against Fiorentina. We saw that Borja can last for 90 minutes. And I'm really happy that we finished off the, the first half uh, the way we did. The second half was routine. Esposito with a penalty, which was um, a Gagliardini, uh, a, you know, a Gagliardini masterpiece, masterpiece because it was a Gudelo. If I'm not mistaken, that um, fouled Gagliardini inside Genoa's box and they awarded a penalty. We saw the gesture from uh, Lukaku and he gave the ball to Esposito, which was really humbling from him. And I'm really happy for Esposito. I, honestly, I haven't been as happy for like a player since we got the Champions League spot against Lazio. I was like, I was cheering for Espoitos to score the goal I have never done before. I, and I was like, really, really, really happy for him. Um, late, like a few minutes after that, Lukaku scored his second goal, as you said, a bullet. And I think it was either Badar or uh, Sia who tweeted that um, Adriano was the one that, I mean, was the one. Adriano is somewhere in Brazil drinking uh, beer and watching and being uh, like, yeah, this is my guy. And I was like, yeah, it, it reminds me of Adriano a lot. The goal that he scored, it was Adriano Stample. Yeah, he draws a lot of likening to Adriano and even, dare I say, um, Ronaldo, just in the way that he can push forward with the ball, um, run a few step overs, just breeze past the defender or just push him out of the way if he's got to. And he just looks unstoppable in that moment. And it's great to have a guy like that. And I think just the way he handed off the penalty to Esposito, the way that whole thing planned out was just, I don't know, I felt like that was a great summarization of what kind of player he is. Um, that being Lukaku, of course. Just the way that he, what he does on the pitch is worth just as much as what he does off the pitch. Uh, honestly, what he does off the pitch in the dressing room is probably worth more than what he does on the pitch with like helping these guys meshing the locker room. Like he's not going to shy away from any of that. He's not going to be someone who causes problems. And with Esposito, I feel like he came up in that same time. Like, Lukaku was 17, breaking in at Anderlecht mm -hmm. in Belgium back in the day. 
And so he understands that pressure of being the 17-year-old kid with all the hope and all the pressure and needing that first goal. So he sees this opportunity, says, here you go, kid. And he scores it, the dust off his back, and we get the great moment from it. So um, I could go on praising this guy all day. Um, I still will give criticism where it's due. Like, I mean – he did have the miss where he's bringing the ball down and just blasted off Radu, much like he blasted one of the chances he had off the keeper against Barcelona. But, yeah, he's going to do that, and it deserves to be called out when he does because he's an interplayer, and we are going to have to deal with the good and the bad. But he deserves just as much credit, even more credit, than he does deserving the slander that he's gotten in recent times from Man United fans, from Inter fans alike. Um, he's just a very big target for undue criticism. And I'm just really glad that he has been able to settle in the way he has, even with racism swirling around, with comparisons to a Cardi swirling around, new league, new country, new language. And this guy's just come in seamlessly, and I don't know. We're very lucky to have gotten this guy as a replacement for the last guy on short notice. I mean, if we were reading the comments made by Manchester United fans in the summer, you could have, if you were not looking at the player's name, you could have just said, oh, we're signing some Polish striker from the third division, you know. Oh, his first (laughs) touch is bad, blah, blah, blah. Like, they forget that he's he scored, I think, the second uh, most goals in this decade in the Premier League, even though he's so young. But, I mean, I don't want to talk about the, that shit league. Uh, so, as you said, what he does on and off the pitch is very remarkable. But I would just add, I would agree with all of that, but I would add that what he doesn't do in the sense of being dramatic, having a wife agent, having someone like Wanda in the locker room, on, on tiki-taka talking shit about other players, disturbing other players, and disturbing the locker room, not having harmony, not being a team player as much. All of those things at the end of the season or as last season, as half of the season, they accumulate in something that we couldn't predict, something that led to Icardi living alone. And, I mean, Lukaku is such a player that, I mean, he's not clinical. It's obvious. We've been spoiled with the Argentine that left for PSG. With he, in my eyes, he is the most clinical striker that I've seen in uh, in my years of watching football. In the sense that if he gets a chance, he'll probably score it. He doesn't need three chances to score one goal. If he gets a chance, he scores. But the thing is, he doesn't do anything besides that. He doesn't contribute in any sense of the game. He doesn't do anything that's useful for the team in a sense, opening spaces, bullying players, being faster, dribbling, passing the ball. No, he doesn't do that. He's not that, that type of striker. But what he does is score goals. What he does is he doesn't need any... He doesn't need two chances to score a goal. He'll score a goal even if he has one chance. Lukaku makes mistakes. It's obvious. As you said, we are not... Ba- uh, we are not fun boys as someone else on the podcast is we're, we're we're objective when we can be because we're talking about the striker that came six months ago like he we're signing him six months ago for 65 million that it's going to be paid off in five installments so i'm happy with that we got a, a good deal we have a coach that likes him i mean loves him and we have lautaro who in my eyes He's far better player than Icardi in terms of the overall contribution to the game added with the goal scoring. Um, and I think that we have to be even patient with Lukaku because I'm sure that he can contribute even more to the club, to Conte, to the team as a player, as someone on and off the pitch, and then more importantly, as a mentor to Esposito. Yeah, I mean, you just encompassed everything right there that I was trying to get out that I couldn't really get out. Like, you said it perfectly there. Like, this guy, we're just lucky to have him. What I'll leave it at. Um, 
I was going to say something else. Oh, um, yeah. Um, I had something else is that when we knew that Icardi was leaving and even before that, like even just thinking about it, like what if someone activates his release clause, I would sit there and I would think, I'd be like, all right, you're not going to replace this guy man for man. Like you're not going to get a perfect one for one replacement for Icardi if, and when he leaves speaking in the past, but when he did leave, you were going to need two guys to come in. You're basically going to have to split Icardi's attributes in the two. And you're going to have to find two guys that can do what Accardi did as one. And I think with Lautaro and Lukaku, you've got that and more. That these guys fit into the system that they've been put into and have the goal output that Accardi would have had. They've, ha- they've gotten plenty of goals working together, uh, plenty of goals individually and together. And I think that this team has moved on without really missing a beat since then. And it's not really, I guess, not fair to compare the sample size still, but from what we've seen, it looks like we've moved on in the best way possible. And I guess that'll leave the Accardi talk. We'll leave all the Accardi versus Lukaku talk for the Twitter guys and for Juan and Ara. Or so. when we have both apps and uh, Chino on the podcast. That should be epic. And, you know, without any bias... <laughs> without any fumbling over players. I mean, stay tuned for that. If you like it, just tweet at them. Make them come on the pot and debate that. I mean, who are they going to debate? They're just going to talk and agree with each other the way that we've just talked and agreed together that they're going to agree about a Cardi, and that would be... But wait, what if we brought... It would be a civil war on the <laughs> podcast. What if we brought uh, Pure Interista into this? Oh, Lord. The, the, there would be like you wouldn't be able to understand what was going on just because there would be six people <laughs> talking at once just like IFTV yeah it would be so chaotic but I mean it would probably get the listens so if you guys want some kind of debate around if you're one of these one of the guys on Twitter that follows all these guys that we've been mentioning and you want these guys to have to come to blows verbally instead of through twitter fingers um let us know let them know and maybe we can put something together in the new year so just to wrap up a few more miscellaneous things going on around the club we've mentioned some of the returns from injury and that we expect in the new year to have our preferred midfield of Cincy Brozovic and Barella back with Cincy and Barella returning from injury and Alexis Sanchez should be returning for the first time in months um you can see in one of the videos that Inter posted over the Christmas season that even Lukaku forgot that Alexis Sanchez was at the club where he's like, <laughs> he's asked who has the most followers with the club. And he's like, me, duh. And then like, they say, no, Alexis. And he's like, ah, oh, like, oh, he forgot dude. too. Like, I forgot he was there. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, oh yeah, we have Alexis Sanchez. And we're like, shit. Okay. So those guys will be back. We'll be facing Napoli on December, I mean, not December, excuse me, January 6th. That should be the battle of the Christmas parties. Um, (laughs) And we also had the draw recently for the Europa League round of 32, I believe. 32 or 64, 64. whichever. Oh, no. Way too many clubs (laughs) because, way too many clubs because it's a farmer's league, but. Um, we will be facing Ludogorets in the um, in the Europa League. The team from Bulgaria. Oh, fuck, where are they from? <laughs> the team from Bulgaria. Um, and we should pretty much, I believe, cruise through that. I don't have any worries there. Um, but the future is looking good with everyone coming back. We're looking up, looking into the new year. Um, Risto, what do you think about everyone coming back, these upcoming matches? Um, Coppa Italia also coming up against Cagliari. We have a matchup with Atalanta, who, of course, destroyed Milan 5-0 at the Stadio Atleti di Azzurri. To be quite honest, I'm not someone that hates Icardi, but I've never considered getting a shirt with, with his name on the back. I don't know why. I've never had any particular likings, but 
I've always um, appreciated him as a player. When it comes to Sanchez, even though he played like three minutes for Inter, I was like, I fucking love this dude. I don't know why. He just has that kind of energy. Maybe because we have been after him since 2010, 2011, and we never signed him. He signed for Barcelona when Moratti wanted to bring him in. And later on, he signed for uh, Arsenal. But I'm happy that he is back. Hopefully, he'll be back and ready for Napoli or at least Atalanta. We need him for Atalanta more than we need him for Napoli because Napoli will be without their best player, uh, Koulibaly, who we saw how good he was and how important he is for Napoli and their style of play. Um, Last year or last season uh, when we played them, he was the one that was the main guy and the main reason why they uh, played to a decent start and to a decent standard against Inter. But I think that we have a real chance of beating Napoli in this case. As far as um, the Atalanta game goes, I think we'll be back just before New Year. And it's either it will be either Chino or someone else that's going to replace him. But that game, I think we should discuss that game next week when we have uh, more information on who's back and who's ready to start against Napoli, therefore ready to start against Atalanta too. But talking about Europa or in Europa League, of course, I think we have to win against Ludogorets because they're not that uh, that good of a team. They're not even, you know, a like team when it comes to Bulgaria because most people support our teams, mostly from Sofia, from the main, uh, from the capital city. And they're from a smaller town. And as far as I know, they're like, you know, um, a Balkan version or Bulgarian version of Leipzig, a team who's not very liked because it used a lot of money pumping into the club in order to reach a certain level. So they're like artificial club. (laughs) They're quote-unquote fake club. And, you know, I just expect us to cruise, as you said. And I want to see Ranocchia play and score some volley like last year against Rapid Vienna. <laughs> yeah, that's something to look forward to. I believe that should be in February. Yes, February 20th. So we've still got a ways down the road to look at that. Um, much will come on that, I'm sure, in the month of February, sometime before that match. Um we put out recently, uh, pretty short notice, some stuff for questions. Um, so we'll just kind of breeze over that because I don't think we got too many on such short notice. And then we'll let everyone enjoy their holiday, boxing day, whatever you are doing on the day you are listening in this festive season. So let's start off with a question from Dino who asked you, the guy that don't want, that doesn't want any guests on the podcast, why don't uh, Dino and Said ever feature on the show? Uh, tell them to download the Anchor app and tell them to be on when we're on, and we'll ask them the question. The ball is now in your court, Dino. <laughs> Andre B asked, um, better feeling seeing Esposito score or sensory turn to the field? Um. For the means of the team, for the means of the team, it's seeing Cincy back because that midfield, I, I, I can't last much longer watching the midfield the way it's been with Brozovic flopping around and then, of course, being absent. And then Borja having to try to run, looking like he's got ankle weights on, probably needing oxygen tanks at halftime. And then um, just the matchup or the lineup of Vecino Valero and Gallardini just gives me flashbacks <laughs> to the 4-1 loss against Atalanta last year, and I don't like reliving that. So seeing Cincy back is, of course, great for that, but in terms of just personally, you know, like seeing something that just makes you feel good and really makes you just proud to be an Inter fan, of course, would be watching Esposito get that goal and he, and play a great match overall. Like, he really deserved that goal, even though it was a penalty. He played 
played a great match, was harrying defenses, was moving like he was years ahead of his age. So that gives a lot of hope to the future and maybe dispelling a little bit of the inter can't raise youth talent stereotype. I, th- I mean, uh, looking at the question retrospectively, I think I would say Sensi returned to the field. Uh, but in the moment, and as I said 10 minutes ago, I was so happy for Esposito to score. And in the moment, I felt like my son scored a goal, you know. And that's why I would say Esposito scoring the penalty, even though, as you said, it was a penalty, but it's still a goal. Um, I mean, if we don't count them, then Ronaldo will have one goal and Piontek two. But but sense returning to the field is so important, like more important than uh, Esposito scoring the goal. So it depends in which aspect you're looking at. But for me, I would say Esposito scoring the goal. Nina wanted you to sing the Interbell song, but of course you bailed on. And... Well, tell her to call me. I mean, she she can call me anytime. No, nah, like... it's, it's different when you sing it in the song on, on the podcast. Oh, come on. <laughs> Fuck you. I don't even remember lyrics, man. Like, I've, I've repressed interbells because of the way the rest of that season went because of Porter Manor, <laughs> because of... I need therapy before I can sing that song. Yeah, same. That's why I'm not going going back. Fuck that. Magnus uh, Kaufman proposed um, the midfield return of Barela Sensi and Brozovic as a topic discussion, but you already answered in a way, and we spoke about it during the podcast. So thank you for the question, Magnus. Um, Then uh, Sheikh Lazaro asked, why can Kandanui score 60-yard bicycle kicks? Is he on a decline, Mike? Oh, man, you know, he can't score those. He can't move on a crossbody shot, you know, stand still. Like, this guy's definitely not, you know, the best goalkeeper in Serie A. Like, he's been rightly voted. But some will tell you otherwise. Maybe because Icardi is actually the guy that taught him how to shoot. And we all know how good Icardi was when it comes to shooting, you know. And the last question comes from Vandus Marinara. Why does Christo hate Vidal? Oh, where do I start? Because he you... loves Nangolan. What else? No, it's not only that. <laughs> I mean, oh, fuck. Um, first of all, yeah, I would say because you already ha- we already had a player like Vidal. In my eyes, Nangolan is the better player, but Obviously, I'm biased, so I'm not the one that can, you know, say something that I would say would be objective. I'm saying that it is not objective, it's subjective, especially when it comes to Nangolan, because I like him a lot as a player, uh, even though he shot on Inter and Inter fans last Christmas, you know, with the leaked videotape, but I'm trying to forget that. Um, as a player, they're very similar. Both of them would die for Conte. Both of them would sacrifice their legs for him when it comes to running and giving 100% on the field. I don't care the antics of the field, but I don't know who said it uh, because if you want to grow a club, you cannot have players like Cardi or Nainggolan in the club because of what they're doing to the image um, and in the eyes of of, uh, neutral fans. But... The main reason why I hate Vidal is that if if it was 2013, I have no problem with Vidal, even though he played at Juventus. I have no real bias against players that played for Juventus, as, except that fucking cunt Nedved, but I'm not going to go into that. Um, the main reason why I hate Vidal is that we already had a player in Angolan, we disregarded him, now we want to sign a player who is finished, who's 32, I think. And if we pay 25 million for him, then why we didn't play? Why we didn't um, pay 30 or how, however it was like 30, 35 for Rafinha, who's in my eyes better player than Vidal. I don't know. Uh, also, Vidal has the tattoos of of Juventus winning the Scudetto, of Juventus's um, logo on his arm. So 
I don't want to be associated with that kind of player. Also, fuck Vidal. <laughs> what if he blacks out? What if we buy him for fifteen million and he blacks out all his user tattoos <laughs> and then gets interested in for tattoos? No, no, I, I like, I, I, I can never like a player that I've hated in the in the past. Maybe I'm wrong and I cannot think of one uh, on, on top of my head, but. Like, I cannot pinpoint why I hate Handanovic so much. Like, I don't like him at all. I know he's a decent keeper, but I, I, I'm, I'm completely subjective when it comes to these kind of players. Maybe because the way we disregarded, uh, I mean, the player, the way that we um, threw away a, play, a, a player, a legend like uh, Julio Cesar, and signed Handanovic instead. Maybe because of the Banterira, even though no matter how good they were, it's still a Banterira, and we have a, like the worst memories as Inter fans. I don't know. As for Vidal, even though if we can sign him from free, I don't care. Like, I Maybe Conte wants him, and I'll never say a player is bad when it comes to the wishes of, of a coach, but in my eyes, he's finished. We saw when we played Barca, He's not as good as he was previously. And I think that we can do better with those 15 million. Because we can sign uh, Rodrigo de Paul for 30. So I would spend 15 million more than I could have spent on uh, Vidal and sign a player that is hitting prime and is Argentine. Well, there you go. Um, we'll probably have a lot more time to talk about Vidal, whether it's transfer speculation or it is that he actually comes in in January and we have him on the pitch. So much more of the Christo Vidal hate train to come, guys. Well, um, we'll let everyone get back to their holiday seasons. Um, if we don't speak to you guys before, uh, I want to wish everyone a happy new year. We want to hope for Another great year in the history of Inter, hopefully with a few trophies coming in 2020. And Christo, thanks for being on in this busy time. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you guys in the next one.